group welcome everybody to the snap no tap podcast during the olympics now the still official 2020 olympics even though i think we're in 2021 i get all confused myself so how you guys doing joe and nico doing good man good how are you guys so has the olympics started already yes friday was the official opening and um events and they're going on as we speak until sometime i forgot when in august but probably a couple weeks uh pretty interesting some stuff i watched yesterday i was watching a little bit or yeah yesterday um a little bit today uh some events that i've never seen before three on three basketball which i thought was the coolest yeah that sounds cool it was it's action-packed 10 minutes um you know, go, go, go. So there's no downtime. I saw a little bit of the judo, which was terrible when I watched. It was just boring and just not my cup of tea. Uh, and then I saw beach volleyball with the women, which was a pleasure to watch. Uh, and now today they had just now before this, they had the regular basketball, which, you know, it, it, it wasn't getting to me. I didn't like it that much. It wasn't enjoyable, enjoyable. And a lot of swimming. They've been showing lots of swimming. Yeah, oh, go ahead, man. Uh, I've read something that they were going to introduce karate for the first time in this Olympics, which is, I think, is very fitting considering that it's in Japan. Well, so I'd like to see that. They have taekwondo already. Ta- yeah, but karate is different. I think it's going to be like a different rule set. So I don't know. I, I'd have to watch it, but it's it's going to be something different than taekwondo because otherwise, why introduce it? It does seem a little redundant because, I mean, they are so closely related in arts and styles, obviously. I mean, clearly, but you're right. I think they are doing – I heard um, – actually, there was a podcast with, the, you know, the physicist uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. He had some uh, athletes on there talking about the Olympics, and one was talking about karate. I guess part of it is just they're going to go through karate forms, you know, so part of it will just be a judgment on how well they do the forms. And then there will be like actual fights that they'll have. But I, I don't know what the different rules were for the fights compared to like the Taekwondo fights. Um, but like along those notes, I saw someone had posted something about Muay Thai being in consideration. And I, I thought it was, you know, kind of BS. So I did some Googling before the show um, and I found a headline that said kickboxing, Muay Thai and Sambo uh, received full Olympic recognition. Again, I haven't researched it too heavily, um, <clears throat> But um, that means that they could be like, I guess, for demonstration sports at the next Olympics. Um, but it's interesting that they keep expanding. So in this article I'm looking at, it says there's five combat sports in the Olympics, boxing, taekwondo, karate, wrestling, and judo. Um, 
So it's interesting that they're going to continue to expand that. You know, I have mixed feelings about that. What do you think, Tony? Well, yeah, probably mixed feelings. I, I was, yeah, I mean, I'd have to know the rules because I, I just think like when I saw the judo thing, the rules were, I mean, it just was not for, it wasn't an enjoyable experience. I saw two matches. One was a ladies match. One was a, um, a men. And the, the, the winner of the match that I saw, the Japanese fellow, he ended up apparently winning the gold medal. They didn't show the gold medal match. At least I didn't see it. They just announced that he won it. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, you know, it wasn't for me. Now, obviously if you're a judoka, you're going to, you're going to enjoy it. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, boxing and wrestling, I mean, wrestling is, you know, from the very beginning. I mean, I mean, I'm talking not the 1896 Olympics, but you know, 2000 years ago. So the wrestling should be a part of it for sure. And probably track and field and, you know, obviously, but yeah, I don't know. It depends on what the rules are and, and how exciting it's going to be. Tony was, I don't know if you know the answer, but was pancreation, was that the original Olympics, like in Greece? Was that, wasn't that a sport at one time in the Olympics? I don't know if it was in the Olympics. It may have been. I don't re- I probably did know at one point, but now I don't remember. Um, I think they should make that another, um, an well, Olympic sport. It's not the, the, you want them to die because the, the pancreation, <laughs> really, pancreation back then is different than what people are doing today. Okay, so you know, everything now is different because of rules and regulations and safety and so on. So, you know, that's, that's just the way it is. Uh, so it's like bare knuckle, bare knuckle boxing in this country, you know, when it started over here with the, you know, standing like this and the bare knuckles. Do you want to go back to that as the only sport in boxing? You know, no more gloves. So you got to factor it all in. That's why I say I can't judge if this karate thing is going to be any good until uh, I know what the rules are. Same with this sambo, if they get that in there, uh, or Thai boxing. Let's see what the rules are. Um, And I think there was a uh, on and off, there's been a push to try and get submission grappling in there as well, too. Well, that's a new sport, and you know, relatively, it's it's not been around long. So I, I mean, I would be highly opposed to that because there's been other things that have been much more popular in submission grappling. Okay, pool, snooker, bowling, even you know, millions of people participate in that at mastery level, uh, and those aren't Olympic sports. So I just think everybody needs to slow down. Uh, karate's been around as a sport for quite a while. So I could anti boxing. So I could see them wanting to make a pitch. Um, but yeah, I just think just take it easy, you know, relax. Let's, uh, you know, Bruce brought up an interesting point last week about like, well, it was actually MMA that it's oversaturated now. It's on all the time and it's lost, you know, all of its excitement and so on. Um, so, you know, you, you have to watch with the sports that are overdone, uh, you know, years ago, I don't remember how now, I don't remember how many, how long ago before they stopped the amateur status, but, you know, like basketball, it was college guys, you know, playing basketball. You weren't going to be, you couldn't bring in a professional team. So then when they changed all of that, I believe it was in the eighties with Jordan and the dream team, or it could have been 92, 
Um, that seems to ring a bell with me. Uh, now, all of a sudden, you got all these professional athletes playing the sport. So let's fast forward to today, 2021. Yeah, you have some pros, but you don't have the greatest players in this Olympics. As a matter of fact, as of today, America lost today in their opening match of basketball. So, um, well, really, they I, I like a dream team this year. Apparently, not, apparently not. Um, but so my whole thing is Olympics have totally lost their purity because there were many athletes through the years. Again, I'm talking before, let's say, 92 or whenever they made the change that could have participated in the Olympics and most likely won. And they weren't allowed. One of the guys that comes to mind is the legendary Bob Hayes, fastest human ever. He won the Olympic 100-meter dash in the 1964 uh, Olympics. And then because again, he, needed, he needed to eat, he became a professional football player with the Dallas Cowboys. Now, he, by his own words, was getting faster and faster, which would make sense because he didn't even hit his prime. So he could have competed in the 68 Olympics in, in Mexico City at altitude and more than likely won the gold medal there. I remember talking to Doug Blubaugh, the Olympic gold medalist in 1960, um, wrestling, and he told me he was better in 64 and 68. But because of whatever he did in his personal life, he was considered a professional athlete. Uh, and these are just two that, that, that come to mind, but there, was, there are probably many. You know, take, take any basketball player, you know, um, that turned pro, like Will Chamberlain could have been in the Olympics, but he started his professional career with the Harlem Globetrotters. And it goes all the way back to Jim Thorpe, who got his medals initially taken away, taken away from him. And then posthumously, they were um, given back, you know, decades later. So <clears throat> the Olympics have, <clears throat> excuse me, have completely changed its uh, original, 1896 original, um, you know, statement. So I, Kind of lost its kind of lost its luster to me. See, I'm, I'm different. I I kind of like the idea of the gold medal is literally the best person at whatever that is. If you're a gold medalist, you're literally the world's best as to as opposed to like the world's best amateur at whatever it is. Um, exactly for the points you raise, like the fact that Jim Thorpe had his medal stripped. I think that's an outrage. And obviously they they went back and because I think he paid got paid a few bucks for playing baseball once or something like that. The story goes. And it's just so hard. Where do you draw the line? Because now, like, it looks like uh, college athletes are going to, at least some of them are going to start getting payment. And a lot of them already were getting tuition, which is a form of payment. You know, it's hard. It's like, it's, there's so much gray area in there um, that it's, you know, to me, the bigger outrage. And another thing I don't think they'll be able to police is, is the drugging and the doping, you know, like, I don't care if you you're paid to be an athlete, you know, if you're still the you know, like, it, like the fact that we were always losing at basketball or that it was a struggle for us to, to win at basketball was just kind of invalidated the whole Olympic because we everybody knew that the best basketball players came from the U.S., you know, that we would and, and it, we proved it. We could just, you know, when our best were actually sent there, you know, it was just kind of like, you know, it was like the Harlem Globetrotters against the, the rest of the world. I mean, they had other obviously pros came from other parts of the world to the, to the NBA to play. But I don't know. I, I I get what you're saying, but it's it's just one of those things where, and maybe this was just like 
because I was a kid thinking about it. I was, it's like, it should be the best at whatever it is from your country doing well, it. That's why you have world championships. Okay. So that's different. This was uh, the Olympic idea was strictly in, in its constitution, amateur athletics. That's it, it, it was never the best in the world, Joe. It was the finest amateur athletes. Well, it depends on the sport though, too, right? Because some sports, and this is an interesting idea, like in some ways having like a gold medal for basketball or, or for soccer for that matter. Soccer, like I, I've talked to some European friends of mine and I don't know if this is still the case, but several years ago, they were like, most countries don't care so much about the Olympics. They send their second you know, second stringers there, it's the World Cup that they care about. That is the world standard for soccer. If you win the World Cup, you are the world champion. And so to me, why even have soccer in the Olympics? You know, there is a world standard for the best team. We've already done that outside of the Olympics. And so, you know, that's kind of the way it is with the NBA champions too. It's like the world recognizes that as now granted, not everybody from the world can travel and play every year i mean maybe that's part of it too is just a way to be inclusive to let other people play but um uh but yeah there's a lot of things that just feel redundant or pointless now other sports like you mentioned like track and field or gymnastics that is literally the height of their sport you know that's not like there's pros out there doing it better you know they they go to the olympics and when you get a gold medal it means you're the, literally the best and so sometimes it's like a sport to sport difference and i don't know um so maybe you know, maybe you just kind of go with whatever. I think everybody has their own preference for it. Um, going back to the combat sports, another question is, do you think it helps or hurts the sport? So, you know, we were talking about judo and I think you mentioned that judo may like watching it, but I think there's some controversy even with them. I and mean, granted, I'm not a, a judo guy. I just, you know, you know, see what they post online and talk to a few of them, but the rules keep changing. And so more and more techniques get taken out. So certain like throws and leg attacks are taken out. And some of that is just to visually, well, there's debate as to why that was decided. You know, why did they take those moves out? I mean, some of them are safety ones, obviously, but other ones are just to diverse, to make it visually different than let's say wrestling. Because if it's just wrestling with geese on, you know, what is, they kind of try and push it to where you can only do like, it almost becomes like a Greco thing, you know? Um, so uh, it's an interesting question as to once you put something into the Olympics, does it further the martial art or the combat sport? Or does it in some ways, I guess it can go either way, right? Because I don't think many people would argue that having wrestling in the Olympics obviously helps it. You know, it, it definitely gives it more, uh, you know, press and worldwide, you know, attention and draws people into it. Um, but yeah, things like judos, depending how they do the rules, they, they can actually detract from it. Um, so I don't know. Do you think, and a lot of times it's interesting, like with boxing, some people who get gold medals or do fairly well, don't transition well to professional boxing. Isn't that true, Tony? It, it's, it's true. But I think in that regard, the biggest example is the Heisman Trophy winner in college football. They they probably have a lesser success rate transitioning to the NFL. Um, but yeah, boxers, yeah, it, you're probably correct, but there's, there's reasons. If you go back to the 60s and 70s and whatever, uh, when you had the Soviet Union, those men were like uh, banned pretty much from participating in professional boxing. 
All right, Teofilo Stevenson, the great Cuban heavyweight, never had a, a professional fight, to my knowledge, at least not in his prime, against, you know, top contenders or, you know, somebody like Muhammad Ali. But you know, where are you go in judo? There is no, like, there, there may be some sort of professional judo uh, scene. I'm not aware of it. There may be. But, yeah, I just think um, the rule now, track and field is all professional. These track athletes make a lot of money, certain certain events. Um, but, yeah, with the rules, uh, the rule changes. And I guess I could see some, inevitably, you, 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 you make certain changes. But you know, judo has made changes you know a lot through the years um probably wrestling too i mean Corellin, you know when he lost to uh rulon gardner it was all because of, he changed his hand grip which was the first time they they made the grip change cost you a point and that's why he lost i mean it was kind of frustrating because muscle memory takes over and you don't think but uh, there's, yeah, they have their own reasons or agenda or whatever you want to say uh, for it. Um, but I heard this same thing back about the late 60s and early 70s, where amateur wrestlers were, you know, mopping up in judo tournaments. Um, you know, not like maybe internationally, but local, you know, local level tournaments, wrestlers were going in and winning. So then they, they started making some changes there um, to exclude certain wrestling techniques. And that continues to this day. Um, so yeah, I mean, they want to they want to balance. They want to keep the marketability. And I think if you're doing something like judo, you should have a choice. And maybe you do. Uh, do you want to be a strict competitor? Are your dreams competition or Olympics or winning the state championships or whatever? Or do you want to learn a more inclusive style where we show you, you know? forbidden techniques, you know, that you can't use in, in, in competition. I think, you know, that, that might be a solution for ordinary people because to make it to the Olympics or any, any kind of high level thing like that, it's a life change. It's complete, utter and total dedication. And some people just cannot do that because they have life responsibilities. So they should be given the option to learn, learn techniques, learn as much as they can, but not be expected to um, become like a monk and, and, you know, turn over their whole life to this um, quest. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned about the technique shift and it's kind of, it kind of reminds me of like, I'm going to make an uh, analogy with like just academic schools. Like when they had that no child left behind, I don't know if you remember that during the Bush years, but it, a lot of classes began to shift their curriculum just to teach for the test. So the goal was just to pass these tests because that's how, you know, the schools were judged and how they got funding. And again, I'm not an expert in this, but it seemed like with combat sports, it starts to happen that way too, that they, if a technique, which is completely valid for self-defense, but is taken out of the rules for, you know, at the competitive level, like maybe the Olympics, maybe that technique doesn't get trained as much, you know? And so in some ways, uh, kind of the downside of the com competitive thing is that you lose some skills, you know, potentially. And to, I guess to your earlier point is that I think martial arts have to be very cautious about um, not losing necessarily valid techniques or things, you know, just because they're not being used in competition anymore. Um, you know, because obviously a lot of things that sell and get students in are like, you know, uh, trophies and medals and things like that. So, but if you're training, if you're training people's muscle memory to do things that'll get them disqualified, 
So it's almost like you need two curriculum. Like you said, you have, almost have to be very deliberate and split, split how you're training. Say, okay, this is the competition team. They're doing this, but this is the traditional team that does. Cause I suspect that might happen with karate too. If this becomes popular, most karate schools or a big portion of them will probably start gearing themselves to however that is set up, you know, and they may lose a percentage of their traditional techniques, I suspect. Yeah, I don't concern myself with it because, you know, I, I'm not, you know, I do all in stuff. I mean, there's no technique illegal, but I respect, um, you know, I take weightlifting, Olympic lifting, you know, there's no way to, I mean, that's, you're strong, you know, you're doing that, you got a, a blend of, uh, of power and technique, speed, all, all, all of the balance um, with, lift, with lifting, the only thing that they can do is prevent certain lifts, you know, like powerlifting uh, should, you know, be in the Olympics before submission grappling, um, in my opinion. So you can't do power lifts, you can't do curls or, you know, a whole host of, you know, uh, uh, strength things, but so be it. Um, you have other tournaments, you know, to get, you know, win your accolades, so to speak. But to, to address your question, certainly when you are doing, when you are doing a strictly rule oriented uh, competition, regardless of what the sport is, okay, um, you're going to lose on something. I like to use the analogy of trick shots in pool. Now, I'm not here to bash trick shot artists. There's some that are fine players, pool players. But the majority, maybe, are not like great pool players, right? They spend all their majority of their time practicing these trick shots. There is a catalog of um, universally accepted trick shots from the book, okay? And you have to master these trick shots because they will come into competition. So therefore, you're spending all your time working on these trick shots as opposed to, you know, shooting, learning how, you know, practicing all the skills to win at eight ball, nine ball, straight pool, banks, whatever. Uh, it's a conscious choice that these folks make. So anyone who's interested, let's say, in doing Olympic Taekwondo or Olympic Judo or whatever, you know, it, it's, it's a conscious choice that they make. You know, it's a crossroads, perhaps, but... Um, after a certain point, when all the injurious and deadly holds, let's say, or deadly moves are taken out, um, should it still carry the moniker of a combat sport? At that point, now, I would say no. Uh, yeah, you get my, you get my point. Uh, if you're taking out all the combat aspect of it, how's how's it a combat sport? Because, no, whatever. That's just my purity thought. Yeah, it's more of a sport. Yeah, it's a sport. But it has, I mean, it has its, its roots. Roots, right, exactly. It has its roots in the, the combat arts. So, but yeah, it's a sport. It's not a self-defense anymore. No, no. Uh, it's not. So, hey, you know what, though? It, there's people who would, you know, who, I mean, winning an Olympic medal or just even participating in the Olympics. It's an awesome achievement. It's something that you should be proud of and your family and friends should be proud of forever. So if you can make it, if that's your dream to make it to the Olympics, go for it. And I hope everyone that's watching or listening that has Olympic aspirations, make it. And there's no, I mean, I don't care if you, what you do is not combat oriented. Who cares? You, you excelled at something and you beat equally trained people from around the world. It's a, 
it's quite an accomplishment. You know, um, it is. <laughs> Table tennis, for example, Bruce was talking about that last week. It's an Olympic sport. Those guys are, and gals are just, I mean, when I watch that, I'm like, holy Christ, man, they're like incredible. I'm not very good at it at all, actually. Um, but it, it's just, you know, when you get to that level, it, it's, it's amazing. And if that's your goal to be the best table tennis player or chess player or whatever, man, I want everybody to make their goals. So was pool ever in consideration? That seems like it should be, but. Well, pool or snooker, I'm sure. Well, I don't know if it was actually in consideration like by the Olympic committee, but I'm sure it was brought up. Uh, it would make sense because, you know, they have international pool tournaments like the Moscone cup um, and things like that. So, yeah, I, I don't see why it, I mean, that would be great uh, to have pool because that is a sport. They call it a sport. I call it more of a game, pastime, whatever, but I'm not going to get into the semantics of it. But that's something that's shared worldwide pretty much. I mean, right now, the Chinese, they're phenomenal at pool, American pool. Um, Taiwanese, Europe, I mean, it's global. And it's something that, okay, let's say you walk into a bar or you walk into a bowling alley that may have a pool table, you know, you could go and play. You could take your kids to play. I've yet to see anybody walk into a bar or to a bowling alley and they had wrestling mats set up so people can walk around and grapple. You know, let's keep everything in perspective. There are very many things out there that are far more popular than martial arts in general, you know, that aren't uh, in the Olympics that, you know, probably have a valid, valid reason to be in it. Well, yeah, pool would be, I think would be great. Um, and it, it, it couldn't, it could only help Poole's image because Poole in America has, still has a shady image, okay, um, because of the hustling and the gambling and all of that. So like hockey, you take hockey, for example. I am not a fan of watching the NHL because of all the bullshit fights and they, they allow them to happen until it hits the ice. I enjoy watching Olympic hockey because there's none of that. Okay, there's, 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 there's not, there's no combatants, right? Um, so in pool, there would be no gambling. I'm sure they'd be able to figure, you know, they, they watch for that, I would hope. Uh, and it would really clear up the, help to clear up the, the image of pool um, here in America. I don't know what the image is in Europe, but now snooker, uh, we should have Russell Stutley on for this, snooker guys make, a lot of money. They're millionaires, these champion snooker players. Tony, what is snooker? It's 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 a different form of pocket billiards. It's played on a six by twelve table. It's played with uh, you know multicolored balls as opposed to you know the the fifteen object balls that we have in American pool. And those guys can make large amounts of prize money. So it it behooves you to become good at snooker, practice, go through the amateur ranks, go through the professional ranks. Because you can make a very, very good living, very comfortably in the ranks of a snooker uh, world. You can't in American pool. You know, I think we may have discussed this in the past, why I never buckled down. And, you know, number one, I probably don't have that level of, of ability. I'm a shade under, but there's no payout in the end. You know, some of the finest players in the world, you know, are making 
60 grand a year, maybe gross. You know, now you got to pay for your entry fees. You got to travel. I mean, you're making nothing. Um, and that's why they gamble on the side. And when you gamble in pool, it's not just me against you. It's you're setting odds and there's finagling and there's handicaps and it, it becomes a mess. Snooker <clears throat> uh, is lucky to avoid that because they pay their guys well. So, uh, and, and in gymnastics, well, like figure skating, let's go to that for a second. You have a professional figure skating tour in a way. You have the ice capades or the ice follies if they're still around. You have ice shows in essence that you, even if you're not a champion, you, you know, if you were a good amateur, you could get hired. I don't know what you get paid, but you could tour the country doing that. People want to see that. Um, Maybe they're doing something like that with gymnastics. I don't know. But, you know, there's a lot of sports where, where do you go professionally? Like wrestling, amateur wrestling. Where do you go after, after your, let's say your collegiate career, your scholastic career is over? There's no professional wrestling for legitimate professional wrestling. Transitioning to MMA is not wrestling, okay? That's, you know, that's not the same. Uh, obviously professional, you know, WWE wrestling, it's not the same. So where do you go? You, you get my point. It's, 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 there's, and I'm sure there's other sports like that, you know, that I don't follow archery or shooting. I don't know if there's a professional ranking or tour that you can make a substantial living at. You know, you mentioned shooting and um, archery and things like that. You know, it would also be cool to have is like some type of knife throwing. You know, I think that would be cool if they're going to do some kind of, you know, basically accuracy thing. I don't know exactly what the rules are or what they would throw. Now that they're in Japan, they should throw ninja stars, I suppose. But mm-hmm. I'd love to see some kind of uh, accuracy thing like that, you know. Um, yeah, why not? I mean, but. Well, yeah, I mean, we're, we're, but where do you draw the line? I mean, you know, there's, a, you know, you take this three-on-three basketball I, that I had mentioned, and I thought it was very, uh, I liked it. I thought it was, except for the overtime period that I saw, was they were missing shots. But it's quick, fast-paced, you know, based on, you know, the NBA, but slightly different rules. Uh, the caliber of players obviously wasn't like an NBA thing. But, um, you know, yeah, you could be creative and come, come up with all sorts of ideas. What really gets you into the Olympics? What, what separates, like, why, why three-on-three basketball but not powerlifting? You know, where do you – I don't get it. You know, I mean, I'm not judging it. I, I, I don't have a dog in this fight. But I'm just getting at why, why three-on-three basketball and not pool, you know, um, or, 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 or checkers or, or, or something, you know. Well, like skateboarding is in, you know, and I think that's strictly marketing. Now there's a huge, obviously there's a bunch of kids all over the world who love to do it. So I, I think you can maybe make that argument, but it definitely kind of lacks that traditional historical thing to it. You know, it definitely seems like when you mentioned submission grappling fairly new, I mean, skate skateboards have been around, I don't know, you know, since the fifties maybe, but the kind of stuff that they do now, and you see that in the winter Olympics too, they have those like, um, snow snowboarding is now a thing you know but i think they needed to flesh out the the snow sports probably they needed more you know they need because there's so many potential summers you know sports but maybe not as many to pick from for the winter sports so uh but yeah it is there there does seem to be some weird random 
sports that I, I feel it's almost just marketing for like they, they're trying to hit target audiences. And that might be part of the reason why they pick sports from different regions, you know, like Taekwondo. Well, there's your Korean market, you know, um, you know, and, and karate. Well, I mean, a lot of you could argue, hey, that's pretty redundant for Taekwondo. But it's if, if you have another reason to have a another country, a, a large country interested, um, maybe that's part of it, too. You know, and, th- and Muay Thai would be great because that's Southeast Asia's bread and butter. So, you know, that's a whole other the other uh, interesting point I've heard about our debate about whether sport should be or why certain countries resist it. I remember early on, there was, you know, some people were trying to push to have Brazilian jiu-jitsu in. And there was a lot of people in the Brazilian community, who, or at least in the Brazilian jiu-jitsu community, who were resistant to that idea. Because once it becomes an Olympic sport, over time, the dominance of the, the, the country of origin uh, goes away because now there's more skin in the game across, you know, when you have a national team building competitors, like, I, I don't know if, if you looked at the medal count for judo, let's say, I don't think it's, I mean, initially it was probably very dominated by Japan, but now I think it's, 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 it's more diverse that you're probably getting winners from Europe and all other parts of the world. But basically that a country's kind of sport does kind of, um, I wouldn't say they lose control of it, but they lose their kind of dominance in that area. Yeah, I believe it was Anton Giesing who was the first uh, non-Japanese to win a gold medal in the Olympics. But, um, well, you know, again, you got other sports, water skiing, surfing. Uh, you know, these are widely, widely popular sports. As a matter of fact, the little, the little town I live in, they won six national water skiing championships, okay? Six. Um, so those, these are popular uh, activities, not in the Olympics, uh, which, not, you know, again, I, 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 have no, I have no dog in the fight. I mean, you know, arm wrestling, you know, I was an arm wrestler. That's not in the Olympics, you know, not to my knowledge, you know, it's not an Olympic sport. Okay. And arm wrestling goes way back. All right. I mean, that goes way, way back. So I just think some of these newer developed sports need to just, you know, take a time out, check. You got enough tournaments, you got enough things going on, you got your own control. You have world championships, you have national championships, you have state local championships that is that are in your control. Develop that, go for that. You know, the Olympics are, it's a different, you know, the IOC, the Olymp- International Olympic Committee, the, 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 you would lose a lot of control um, when you hand things over to them. And believe me, some of these sports probably don't want to get in because of the extremely stringent doping uh, tests and 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 what have you uh that i mean other sports probably wouldn't care i don't think pool players you know give two shits about that but there may be sports that would uh i don't know but so be it i just i just wish that uh you know the olympic coverage when i was growing up in the summer games was pretty limited you know uh as, as far as the sports that they covered weightlifting was thing i wanted to watch Track and field, naturally, it was probably my favorite. Um, boxing, too. There was rarely any wrestling coverage unless it was a golden boy like you know Dan Gable um, or what have you. I remember when Jeff Blatnick was going for it, they covered him a lot because of his cancer. Yeah, his Hodge, uh, his Hodge, uh, what is it, Hodgkin's um, lymphoma and uh, Kurt Angle and things. But out, outside of that, uh, there were 
you know, oh, gymnastics was always big. Maybe that was the biggest, I probably would have to think. Oliver Corbett and Nadia Komenich and Mary Lou Retton and so on. So, you know, now you're, you're seeing, I'm, I've been watching on uh, cable TV and even internet because um, I have Xfinity so I can get some internet channels that are included. Uh, and it, I, it, these, some of these sports aren't holding my attention. It's just like, eh, I don't want to watch it, you know. Cycling, sure. I watched that the other day. I'm a big cyclist, or was. I'm a, still a fan. Um, I, can, I can watch that. But, you know, there's a lot of sports now that I, you know, I'm just not, you know, I'm just not into watching. Others maybe. It's just my personal thing, you know. Hey, mention, you mentioned cycling. So I, you're, you're still looking to get sell some of your bikes. Is that right? Yeah, you know, I got two. Be- oh, well, first, all right, I'm going to tell you the whole thing here. I'm very upset. Let's first of all talk about this camera deal. So I've never sold anything on eBay, you know, like personal property or anything. I don't know. But I've bought a lot through the years. I've been on eBay over, I don't know, 25 years or something, a long, long time. I bought a lot of stuff. So I'm selling my expensive camera and the lenses and so on. So Friday night, somebody made me an offer. Well, I was asleep, so I woke up. I accepted his offer. About two or three hours later, he sends me an email, <coughs> excuse me, canceling. Which is bullshit because when you make it, and he said, I, I, I made an offer on another camera and he replied before you. Well, this is bullshit because when you make that offer, that's a binding agreement. So this person, you know, jipped me out of it, right? And immediately when, when he accepted my offer, eBay took the ad down. So I had it offered locally too on Craigslist and offer up. So I just deleted all of that, those ads, because I'm figuring, okay, this guy, I'm just waiting for him to pay. So he didn't. So, and that kind of helps happens to me in this business too, where I let people join the Tri-C program on trust that they're going to pay me and they don't and I get screwed. So, you know, I, I have a bad experience with people who don't pay me. All right. So um, anyway, I did not know, see people's word means nothing, I guess. So he was supposed to pay me and he didn't cancel. So I also had my two Bianchi bikes. Both of them are custom made uh, with gearing, all Campanolo gears. uh, And actually, we had talked about this yesterday. So if anybody's interested in these two racing bikes, they're steel road bikes. We will uh, put links so you could look at them online, on eBay uh, or Craigslist, whichever, and probably eBay. And then you can email me. You just email my website and we can discuss it. yeah, I'd, I'd like to get rid of the bicycles, uh, the, the two of them. Um, and one's a 10-speed racer, the other's a 12-speed racer. And, uh, you know, the list goes on of all the – everything has been customized. You know, the gearing, the fork, you name it. You'll see it if you look at the uh, description. And we'll even put a description in and a link to the camera, if, you know, because that, that's just something I thought was sold like this. And, you know, I'm getting bullshit uh, – offers and stuff. It's scammy. And I'm telling everybody out there that sells anything on Craigslist and offer up, be very careful of scams because people have tried to scam me almost immediately when I put these ads up for the bikes and the camera. Um, It's bullshit. And if you don't pay attention and and get it, uh, get it through your head that, you know, this may be a scam, you can be in a lot of trouble. 
So I prefer stuff like that to be sold in person, give me the money and here's your, your merchandise. But never did I realize that they could pull this stuff on eBay. So be careful with that. Uh, your bikes have like a special gear setup. You were telling me about that yesterday. What's the yeah, so the one bike, the the if anybody understands cycling, the one thing about Bianchi, they have a legendary color called Celeste, which is like a mint green. So I have one bike that's a Celeste mint green. 56 centimeters uh, is the frame on that one. Um, and it has a straight freewheel, meaning the, 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 the freewheel rings, the teeth on the rings that are part, you, you, you compare that with the front, uh, and that gives you your gear ratio. This starts at 12, okay, which is like amazing. That is like you're at, a, you're at rocket speed there. 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, straight gearing. And this bike, that bike there in particular is designed for an experienced uh, cyclist that wants to hit top speed. Uh, it, it far surpasses anything in the Tour de France. They would have a different gear ratio <clears throat> because of the higher hills. So this bike is very, very challenging and it's for an exceptional cyclist. Uh, my other yellow Bianchi, um, just has a, a different uh, a gearing ratio. Still fantastic, all racing oriented. It's not with the big freewheel in the back. It's not a beginner. Neither one of these cycles are for beginners. These are for experienced uh, road racers. And the reason I don't go with a, <clears throat> I never went with a uh, carbon fiber or any sort of uh, exotic frame is first of all, steel, is old school, it's strong, and I'm over 200 pounds. You know, I go 220 or so, or two, right now 215, whatever. Riding on a carbon fiber frame is not gonna matter to me, okay? My competitive days like that are, it, it, it doesn't matter. You're talking about two or three pounds maybe of difference. Well, that two or three pounds in frame difference can come from me. If I were to compete, I would have to shed the weight and balance it out. So I'm old school. So that's the way I was raised, and that's just the kind of way I want to be. Um, so yeah, any, anyhow, we'll send the. We'll I'll email over Joe the links, and if anybody is interested, they can they can look it up. And for those of you that are listening on a radio or whatever, uh, just you're going to have to go to the YouTube channel and, and check the links out. But um, yeah, cycling is a fantastic sport riddled with doping at the highest levels always has been okay this is nothing new i mean the doping's been going on in cycling for you know decades it, and it, you know again i was never a, a professional road cyclist but i'm not going to do drugs it doesn't matter to me i'd rather just not compete and walk away knowing that on any given day this is what i can do as opposed to well, I can do this if I'm cycling, uh, uh, steroid cycling or performance enhancing drug cycling. So, no, I, I just want to stand on my own merits. So That's another, oh, go ahead, Nico. I just wanted to ask you about the, the bike. So is it like extremely hard to pedal because it's because that bike is really fast? The, green, the Celeste green one um, would be harder to pedal than my yellow Bianchi, yes. Um, what 
I always suggested, because years ago, somebody wanted to buy it. Somebody came to the gym with, with cash. Well, I shouldn't say cash in hand. We started talking because they saw my bikes. They used to have them hanging from the ceiling. And he asked me about it, and I was telling him, and he got very compelled, and he's like, well, I don't think I can, I would love to have that bike, but I don't think I can handle it. How would I train to be able to do it? I said, well, what I could do is I have a um, home stationary adapter, okay, that you put the front end, the front tire in this star-like uh, uh, rack, so to speak, that sits on the floor, and then you attach to the rear uh, this uh, spinning like freewheel, so you can actually cycle in place. And I told him that's how you would uh, start. You know, get it into you know twelfth gear, you know, and slowly work up your resistance. And and when you get quicker and better, of course, over the course of time, um, you'll be able to transition to this uh, the fifth gear, fourth gear, third gear, and so on. But um, and he's like, I want to buy it. I'm going to go to the bank and I'm going to get the money. And I'm like, no, I'm not interested in selling it. At that time, I just wasn't, you know, and I could have, I could have made a pretty penny. But so, but this is, like I said, a, a challenging bike. And to my knowledge, it's the only one like it. Um, I could be wrong, but certainly it's, it's as tough as it gets for a multi-speed bike. Now, there are specialty bikes that were designed for world record speeds, Okay like gigantic gears that are designed for you to be following behind a moving vehicle that has a shield to create that downdraft. So you're basically riding in almost like a vacuum. And you know, you're talking about speeds in excess of 100 plus miles per hour on bikes like that, okay? With, with the Bianchi, the one we're discussing here, if you were challenged, I mean, if you were in gear and shape, uh, and you got behind a truck or some sort of downdraft, there's no doubt in my mind you'd be able to get close to 80 miles per hour, maybe more, Whoa. depending on your... Oh, that's crazy. Dang. That's flying. Because if you ever watched the movie Breaking Away, there was a scene, and it was a legitimate scene, where they had a, a stunt double, a, 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 at the time a very uh, accomplished cyclist, get behind a bike, or get, excuse me, get behind a truck, and he was riding a Mozzie bike, and he hit 60. And I remember reading that the, the person that did it, kind of like an interesting story there, but maybe we'll touch on it at another time. Um, well, we could say it now. That person that rode that bike ended up a, a transsexual, transgendered and had a sex change years later. But anyway, it was you know a legitimate 60 mile per hour run. So my bike is geared bigger than the Mazi. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm, sh I'm sure you could catch, you could catch close to 80 miles per hour with that bike. Uh, but it's just nice to have, because it's like a hot rod. You don't even need to go that fast. It's just like, you got an 800 horsepower motor. You know, you don't need to be burning rubber and, you know, running quarter miles all the time. Uh, you know, it's just nice to have it. So that's the thing about that's why I wanted that bike like that. Um, but anyway, yeah, time has come. You know, I, I just I'm trying to get rid of all this stuff, and uh, I need to. You know, um, COVID is you know it, it pretty much you know it wiped me out. It's, 
I was having problems before that, but whoo. So I'm, I'm trying to shed all this stuff. So we'll see if I, I, if I can sell it. If I can, that'd be, that'd be super, either one of them. But, uh, but yeah, anyway, Joe was asking me about cycling. And, you know, I, I had a bike since I was a little kid, like most. I mean, I didn't have a lot, but I did have bicycles. And then somewhere along the way, uh, you know, I, I, I was always, like, competitive with stuff, running or sports. And I just liked to ride a bike. And I remember doing odd jobs, and I bought this puppy 10-speed. I don't know how old I was. I was young. I could barely reach the pedals. I got the smallest frame possible. And I didn't know anything. Just rode it. But like when the movie Breaking Away came out, man, I was psyched up about that movie. And I trained legit. I got a, I, I bought, first of all, I bought a Ross, which I quickly found out was way too heavy. And I sold that uh, to some kid in school. And then I, I bought a Bianchi. I'm a Bianchi guy. And uh, I trained and trained and trained, and I did some local competitions in Cleveland, did quite well, was able to ride centuries, which is 100 miles. Um, and I toyed around with the idea of, oh, I think I found my niche. You know, I was playing all sorts of sports, and I figured, here's another niche. I'll be a cyclist. Who knows? And then, then something happened in my life. And that something was... I ended up getting a driver's license. <laughs> so I no longer had to worry about riding my bike fast to get away from the bad guys. I had a, I could get a car. So the minute I was able to finally get a car and start driving, the cycling kind of like took a back seat. And then I would ride ever, you know, intermittently and so on. But I still always have a soft spot, man. I try to watch the Tour de France as much every year and, uh, you know, keep on top of things. Um, so yeah. And then, the, the one Bianchi, the yellow Bianchi, was, I got hit by a car a few years, I don't know, 2008, broke my hip, hit and run, um, riding my bicycle in, uh, in the city. Uh, so, you know, that was like, oh, man, I went flying, landed hard. And I had previously broken my hip, so it was like a re-injury of it. And the bike was fine. I just hit the, wheel, the rim got mangled, so I just had to get a new rim. That was it. Everything else was fine. But, uh, yeah, not cool. So for those of you – and yesterday when, when I was with my friend Scott, there was this, this cyclist, asshole, just running all the stop signs, didn't care, saw people crossing in a crosswalk. He went all the way around, cut in front of Scott's car. I mean, they're a danger. I know that many cyclists cry about drivers. Now, we have to watch out for you guys. Cyclists are very dangerous. One time I was downtown Chicago walking to work and I saw a messenger. Those messenger guys on their bikes are insane, man. The one he cut across uh, LaSalle Street against the light. So traffic was coming and he just zigzagged through the traffic, <laughs> heavy traffic. <laughs> the typical messenger guy. Well, they have a special bike, many of them. They don't even have brakes, okay? They'll wear a glove. They'll use their hands to stop those, to stop it. You know, they're just lightweight, single speed, you know, because um, they're just – yeah, they're, they're not out there to shift gears and all of that crap. Yeah, they just want to get from point A to point B. And, yeah, they, they I've seen that downtown Chicago, boy, my goodness, in and out, zigzagging. They made a movie about that years ago. So would that Bianchi bike be impractical for a messenger guy? I would say so. I mean, I think any high-end bike would be 
um, impractical, because, first and foremost, because of the risk of theft. Uh, you know, you, yeah. you have to chain it up and everything. You, you, you couldn't run the risk of running up and coming back out. You know, you got, you know, $1,000 or $3,000 or $5,000 bikes, man. They'd be gone in a heartbeat. Um, now, there's different, you know, they, were, they, they would have their, you know, a, a different type of bike, um, I would think. I mean, if some of them are serious about r- racing or riding, like, and enjoying their ride, yeah, then they can get a, a, what would be considered a road bike, like what I have, sure. Now, I have a Bianchi mountain bike as well. Again, all custom, but now with Shimano gears, top of the line Shimano gears. Uh, I'm not interested in selling that, but a mountain bike tends to be a little more friendly for, uh, you know, just jaunting around neighborhoods and things like that. Uh, But ironically, out here, there's some, because my area has a lot of motorcyclists, and they actually have cyclists, not necessarily my town, but not far from my town. 15, 20 miles away, I can see these groups. They go out in their racing gear, you know, their bicycle racing gear. And, you know, they're in their, their packs. So um, I would have thought that I'd get some interest in selling the bikes to one of them, but I don't know how to reach these people. I don't, I don't, I'm not savvy with this social media stuff. I really am not. I'm savvy with the, like my website and, you know, things along those lines, but not marketing at, at all. There is some kind of like Facebook marketplace thing, and I have never used it, but I don't know if they can target like your area. I'd have to look into that, but that might be, that might make sense to keep, because then, then you don't have to worry about shipping or anything like that. If someone's local, you know, they can just come pick it up. Um, the other the cool thing about watching, uh, I remember, I think the last Summer Olympics were in uh, Brazil, if I'm not mistaken. They, it was kind of cool to watch the cycling event. Um, Cause you really got to see the countryside, you know, like I, you got to watch cause you know, there's zoom because those courses are so long. So they, they go through all. So it'd be interesting. Do you know when they are this time, Do you know, which day they had some cycling on and I missed it. Um, because you know, again, I, the channels are weird channels that they're broadcasting for me. Um, and I'm not even sure what event, cause they just said cycling. That's all I caught. Um, I don't know. Uh, I know that the tour de France just ended, you know, mm-hmm. um, in general. So I, I don't know if any of those guys are, are coming over. I would, I would assume so. But I think, I think the road race, the 147-mile the road race is already over. Mm. Uh, and I believe it was a Ecuadorian that won, which was only the third time they've ever medaled in the Olympics. You want to see roads or a countryside, you know, tune into the Tour de France. It's beautiful. And many times they go through different areas. Italy and so on. It depends what the route is. Um, well, I thought it was always the same route for the Tour de France. It's not. No. Huh. No. Uh-uh. And, uh, but, but I'll tell you what, the Tour de France is, uh, that's, you were talking about the World Cup. Well, the Tour de France is the pinnacle of road racing, just like Indy 500 or Super Bowl, World Series. You know, you want to be a Tour de France winner. Uh, you know, that's, amazing um that would, those guys are fit believe me yeah i wonder if no i don't I, most of them like i don't think there's been any gold medalists who've done well in that have they transitioned from cycling gold medals into the tour de france i don't well i think it comes the other way i believe you know a lot of tour de france guys go into it um but i don't i don't want to i don't know um but i do know that you know many of the big names in cycling have gotten popped you know, uh, of course, 
uh, what's his name? The American, uh, I'm drawing a blank, not Greg LeMond. Uh, Lance Armstrong? Yeah, Armstrong, you know, lied for all those years. Just lied, lied, lied. And then, you know, so he lost all of his Tour de France medals. Uh, you know, it was just a shame. But, you know, that even the legendary Belgian, uh, Eddie Merckx, you know, he got popped for drugs back then. Um, and that was back in the 60s and early 70s. So it, it's just, you know, it's always been a part of that. It's a shame. But those guys did a lot of nice stuff, you know, like riding on steel bikes. And some of the old timers, you know, are like, hey, the equipment is like when the mile, when the, uh, the one hour record, Eddie Merckx held it for many years and it was, and it was broken. I don't know how long ago now, 10, 12 years ago. Part of the issue was, you know, um, equipment because the cycles change and everything. Every, everything is lighter, blah, 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 composites and this and that. So, you know, there's factions that want, you got to break the record or you got to do it like the old timers, similar equipment, you know, same specs. I kind of, I kind of agree with that, man, because like Haley has that issue with triathlons is that she will lose to, well, you know, the thing is, is the more money you can put into that bike, you know, the better bike, you know, and, and that's, it's not a judgment of your athleticism at that point, you know? And so uh, how much can you afford to put into a bike? Basically, it's almost, I almost feel like they should have, this is the model. Of course, it's like anything like with the doping, they just find ways of cheating, you know, tweaking it. Like could be little small cheeks tweaks, but like, basically saying this is the model of bike. If you're, you know, this is your height or whatever, this is the bike you get and, and kind of, you know, make that the competition model bike that everybody has to use uh, to standardize it. You know, uh, I don't know. That's yeah, they, put, they found fans hidden in the bike and, you know, to help. Oh yeah. They, 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 yeah, I agree. But this is just like muscle with the cars. You know, when I had my, Chev- uh, well, not my Chevelle, my Cutlass, it was old school muscle, you know, 454 carbureted motor, uh, you know, old, old school muscle. Now, you know, but the newer cars, my goodness, they're putting out seven, 800 horsepower like it's nothing, you know, fuel injected, all computer. Yeah. So you, you have your old timers, you know, that like that old school muscle. Same with the cyclists. There's some out there that like this old school steel bikes. If they're interested, hit me up, you know, um, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I'm willing to ship to the right person. Uh, shipping can be expensive. Actually, I have to look into going to a bike shop and, and getting a box and have, I'll just have them um, take the pedals off and take the wheel off and the handlebars, which is easy for, because you have the tools and then they can box it up and then ship it. But yeah, you're, Haley's right. Uh, same with track and field sprinting, you know, uh, the composite tracks that have you know, the, the, the surface of the track has changed, the shoes, the spikes. So, yeah, I mean, progress, yes, it's all about progress. Pole vaulting, same thing. Yeah, it's, it's hard to compare across generations when, when the equipment, um, you know, becomes the determining factor. Bowling alleys, too, you know, bowling with the oil and stuff. Pool as well, different balls, different rails, different... Uh, cues you know the the uh the shafts and everything now it's carbon fiber and this and that all of this makes a difference low deflection they call it low deflection shafts and pool i've got low deflection shafts i got maple shafts and low deflection um yeah all of it makes a difference it truly does so it's hard to compare 
you know, going back to weightlifting, what do you feel about, and again, we have no say in the matter, but like sometimes when they rank people's strengths, instead of just doing either power lifts or Olympic lifts, they combine their totals for all five of those lifts. What about something like that? To me, that might make more sense, you know, uh, because obviously those, the, the three lifts of powerlifting are kind of universally, you know, accepted strength measures. And then you throw in the two Olympic lifts. Uh, but I've seen that in some strength magazines where they, you know, what are their totals for the five lifts? Yeah. Like Ken Patera. Yeah. He was very strong weightlifter and he was a pretty doggone good powerlifter. Uh, Paul Anderson, you know, uh, and there's others. I don't want to start naming names because if I let somebody out, it sounds like I'm dissing them. No, they're just, yeah, that, that's a novel approach. Um, my personal opinion is that weightlifting, Olympic lifting is more difficult because it, invo- it involves a different kind of technique, much more explosive. Uh, and, you know, they also used to have the Olympic press, but it got to the point where guys were bending, and that's what Patera was good at, guys were bending back too much. So now it's just a snatch and a clean and jerk. Um, and it's very explosive to do that as opposed to, you know, bench and a squat and a deadlift. Uh, but generally the power lifters are considered the, the stronger of the, you know, like pure strength because they're moving a lot, like, you know, deadlifting, you know, thousand squatting with a thousand, you know, now even guys are benching with a thousand. It's a lot of poundages. Um, but I, I have an affinity for Olympic lifters. I am not an Olympic lifter. I, I never have been. Um, I dabbled once or twice. But, you know, I, I'm worried about my back. Clean and jerk, I, I'm not afraid of, but the, the snatch. Um, so, yeah, I would think that that would be pretty doggone cool to uh, combine it all in, in an event. You know, not taking your, you know, aggregate bests, go into a, in a five-lift event. That, that would be – I'd like to see that. Yeah, it's cool because those are all standards for strength. Uh, but you're right. I th- obviously, I think it's generally considered that Olympic lifters are more athletic of a lift. You know, they may not be as strong as the power lifters, but they, those lifts translate better to other. They're like they're very well. Like I think they do. Those guys do very well in sprinting and jumping measurements too, because they're just they're jumping with the weight. So like I think some of the I've seen some of the heavier weight guys like and they can dunk basketballs and stuff like that because they're so explosive with their legs jumping that weight up for a clean and jerk or a snatch. So well, when they started those strongman competitions, at least in America, they were won by weightlifters. Uh, Bruce Wilhelm, I remember, um, and there was another one. And then Don Reinhout came along, who was I mean I'm sure he's done Olympic lifts, but he was a uh, power lifter. Uh, but yeah. And then I think Jeff Thompson or Jeff something from uh, the UK, uh, he won uh, a few times. Um, and, and then, you know, then I kind of lost, I, I kind of quit following it, uh, the strongman stuff, because it was getting, it just, I just quit following it. But yeah, to each his own. But those, those doggone Olympic lifters, man, yeah, that's, you, you know, uh, Ohio, uh, America used to be very good. The York Barbell Club was putting out all these champions, Olympics and all that. And then according to what I've read and been told, you know, around 1952, the Soviets started dominating and it was because of their drugs, the drug use. And the Americans got tipped off. So then they started and, you know, that just kind of, it kind of accelerated from there. And, uh, 
make no mistake, even weightlifters in the past before that were experimenting with crazy things to try to increase their strength. Anything to get stronger, you know, any little trick or whatever. They thought, you know, desiccated liver or some crazy concoctions, um, drinking like ox blood or anything that they would be told would, would like give them that strength. They would try. I'd be, I'd be interested to know what the residual effects are as far as to your strength um, in regards to use of those drugs and steroids. Because I, I've talked to guys that did steroids. And, like, for example, one guy I talked to, he said when he does a cycle, he'll probably gain 100 pounds on his bench. But then when he's off of it, he'll still retain about 50 pounds of that you know, added weight that he added, added on with the cycle. So there's a residual, seems to be a residual effect even way after you take the drug. And I, I'm not sure how they do the testing, but I think it's just like basically testing your blood for recent usage. And I don't know if there, if there is any way to test, like if you've been drugged in the past, I think that would be, more fair really because if somebody has been juicing for five years then they just get off it they have a lot of residual strength left over and and now their their blood is clear of any usage you know at the present time but that seems to be completely unfair as opposed to somebody that's never drugged you know it's totally unfair and you know i don't know if if, if, if his 50 pound thing is accurate i know that i've seen guys explode up in weight I mean, just like, like he said, a hundred pounds. Yeah. I've seen that kind of shit in the gyms, you know, where they're just benching shit that they, there's no way they could be doing it without help. Um, but you know, you, it, it, it you get, you're going to, you're going to get health problems. You know, you're going to get that. I think the biggest thing for me is looking at the bodybuilders, you know, um, they're my, right now they're bodybuilding. They're freaks. They're, they're just, they don't even look human. Some of them, they're gigantic. <laughs> and then you look at them, you look at some of the guys who no longer lift, Man, do you, I mean, they, they look like, some of them, some of them look like they never worked out a day in their life. They, they shriveled up. All their, all their muscles are, like, like sadly deflated. Now, me, when I don't, since I never did drugs, when I don't lift, if I, like, during the COVID, year and a half or so, whatever, I'll lose about an inch on my arms. That's nothing. That'll come right back. These guys, some of these guys, you're talking they're losing seven, eight inches. Okay, they're at like some of them were at 24 inch arms, you know, they're like 16, 17, not even 18. I've seen photos of it. My goodness, you got to be kidding. Uh, And then another issue with that is you wreck your body because you're lifting so much. Like I took my body to the limits that I could do it naturally. And I and I was hurting myself. Um, If I was on roids, I could have lifted so much more even and probably done so much more damage. You know, like Ronnie Coleman, poor guy now, he can hardly get around. You know, others have had amputations and, and things. Um, Gerd Bonk, now he was an Olympic weightlifter, set two world records for, for East Germany. The government, they were forcing this stuff on these athletes, okay? He ended up dying at like 63 or 64 years old in a wheelchair, okay? Open sores on his feet, no feeling in his legs, okay, because of diabetes and everything related to all the performance-enhancing anabolics and whatever else 
that he was going through. So here was a guy who was second to, you know, to, to Vasily Alexiev uh, of the Soviet Union and himself had set two world records. Ends up in his late 50s, like my age, in a wheelchair and uh, unable to do anything. That's, you know, is it worth the price? I don't think so. Not for me. So, yeah, there's there's residual effects. And in, honestly, like for like for him, he was going somewhere. He was winning world championships, competing in the Olympics. OK, maybe he's I mean, granted, he was in a Soviet bloc country, so he wasn't making any kind of major money in America. He might have had all these endorsements and become a millionaire. But there's young kids in gyms going nowhere, not going to compete, not going to win any world titles or anything that are on the roids for what? Or not just roids, okay? Um, the other big stuff is like HGH, testosterone, different things like that. This is the big thing. This is the craze, especially in Hollywood. So Hollywood people are doing it because they're doing it for money. But you know, when you have a citizen like us, if we're average people, we're not going to, you know, it's, we're not going to get anywhere from doing it. Why do you want to wreck your body like that? Just to say that you were able to lift the X amount of uh, weight? when it was all artificially inflated? Come on. I can't live like that. That's just how the ego gets, I think, sometimes in training, right? Like you just want to be, even if it's not even rational, right? You just want to, you know, you know, if you're competing against the guy, just the other guy in the, in, 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 on the bench next to you sometimes, you know, even like I'll catch myself sometimes being frustrated at what, where I'm lifting at and have to check myself to say, am I pushing it too hard? Especially at my age, like, you know, hey, I can't lift what I could lift 20 years ago, maybe necessarily, you know? And I think some people that's a hard pill to swallow, you know, that, that they're, and they, even if they're not taking drugs, they will train, overtrain themselves to injury too, which is another, you know, even though it's, it's, it's kind of a natural way to, to mess with yourself long-term. Yeah, it, again, to each his own. I mean, yeah, I am kind of pontificating, I guess, but, I just want to know, I want to let other people know that are out there listening to this or watching this podcast that are natural athletes. Hey, you just have to accept that those guys are what they are. Your day will come if you still stay under that iron or if you're boxing, wrestling, whatever you're doing, you know, they're going to deteriorate and you should stay stable. You know, you should be okay. And a gradual decline as we get older is fine, but you don't want that significant drop off. I mean, it's just, you know, I just, I just don't, I just don't believe in all of that. You know, um, I am what I am and, you know, I'm pushing 60. So my great strength is behind me and I'm good with that. I want to be able to become a 60 year old and I want to be okay for 60. I don't want to have to still be compared to 20 year olds or 25 year olds. I don't need that in my life. <laughs> you know, I want to age gracefully like you were, you were doing Joe. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes. Nico's still a kid, so he, he's, he's got a long way to go. <laughs> I got to take lessons from you guys. Oh, yeah, well, you can. Yeah, they're, you know, well, I'm, I'll give you free lessons on getting old. Joe, you know, he's all about, he won't give you any help with his hair. He's <laughs> holding off on that. That's private. That's Tri-C membership level stuff. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I have my own Tri-C. So. Yeah, but anyway, we're going to have to start wrapping this up, but we got to do what Bruce said. Hit that like button if you enjoyed this podcast and hit the subscribe button. Think about joining the membership program. He'll put a link down. Think about joining the Tri-C program. 
so you can learn actually all kidding aside learn all these fitness things and talks and stuff and he'll put links on the bikes and the uh even the camera i mean i i can't believe what that guy pulled with that camera i just like people's word don't mean anything i mean i i really thought when you said when you make an offer that's it you're not supposed to be offering like the 10 different people you know and then taking the first one that's not how it goes but um and I don't believe it's true. I, I don't know who knows, but anyway, but yeah, think about hitting the like and subscribe button, please. And uh, what are you guys going to do this week? Gosh, I haven't even thought that far ahead. Obviously, try and keep training. I actually did some intervals this morning. Did some running. So um, getting starting to get geared up. Uh, literally finding my gear and camping stuff for in a couple of weeks. I'll be doing some camping stuff. So. Uh, I think that's where most of my focus is getting prepped for that trip. And what state are you going to? New Jersey. So getting into oh. the woods in New Jersey, surprisingly, the, the, probably the least, most people don't think of that when they think of the outdoors, but that's a, yeah, it's a kind of a wilderness skills thing I'll be doing there in the, in the Pine Barrens. So I'll regale you guys with stories when I get back of. Yeah. Share it with us. It's the garden state. What about you, Nico? What are you going to do? Same thing I do every week. <laughs> Work like a slave in the hot sun. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, enjoy the hot sun. And Joe, will <laughs> both of you guys next week. And it was great talking to you. Everybody, once again, we do appreciate you tuning in and uh, or watching. And uh, that's it. See you next time, everybody. See you. See you. <laughs> Thank you.